You're listening to Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes Wednesdays and Saturdays. Follow Hockey to Heroin on Twitter. That's at Hockey, the number two heroin for updates and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Brady Leavitt, like any other Canadian kid, his dream was to play in the National Hockey League. Success came easily to Leopold as he began to turn heads in the junior leagues. Only pass from Long, he's got Leopold with him. Long walks in, centers, goal! Leopold's right-hand shot rotates and then sends here Long back to Leopold. And here we go, right off the bat, a fight ensues, and it's Leavold and Kerr, and they're both getting in shots. Now Leavold throwing right after right and just connecting like crazy. Once I met Harriman, I mean, it was just, that became my new passion. What's the reason that young people who are athletes get addicted to heroin? They injure themselves, and they're more likely to be prescribed an opioid. And once addicted, many are going to switch over to heroin because it's much more cost-effective. And the effects that they produce in the brain are indistinguishable. When we talk about painkillers, we're essentially talking about heroin pills. Welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery. Guys, this is episode 29, getting up there. Uh, guys, lots going on. First off, I always like to say thank you so much for all the support. It's extremely overwhelming. I know I sound like a broken record. Uh, also want to quickly uh, give a shout out to everybody that took, uh, took part in the gender reveal on uh, Instagram and Facebook. What a disaster that was. Um, <laughs> kind of funny um, I'm clearly out of practice um, the original idea was for me to hit a puck that we ordered online but because of COVID it just never showed up I still haven't got it so I ordered one of each color it was supposed to explode uh, it never showed up we got impatient so we got a balloon I thought I would take a shot with a hockey puck and try to hit this balloon well holy shit could I not hit this balloon if my life depended on it you think I ever played professional hockey? It looked like I never played hockey a day in my life. Actually, I hit it the second shot, but it just wouldn't pop, and it took me like seven shots, and hey, guess what? It popped, and I'm uh, proud to say that we're going to have a little girl in October, um, so we're really excited about that, guys. And of course, if you're listening, uh, this is on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, you can follow them on social media at hockey podnet be sure to check out all their podcasts especially tales with tr terry ryan's podcast it's a great 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 listen um quickly i want to say i'm not recording in the matthew lashinsky memorial studio unfortunately it's still under construction i will say it every single podcast matthew lashinsky is a former sault saint marie greyhound he was drafted in the second round by them uh in the early 2000s he was born in 1987 the same year as myself i never got to meet this young man because he passed away in 2017 uh due to an overdose and a new friend of mine by the name of matt thompson uh, I met him through this outlet and he shared the story with me and uh, 
there was really no reason, guys, why I'm still around and he's not. And I've been able to connect with his family. Uh, it's been incredible. Uh, yeah. We're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna finish building it here. We're gonna do uh, a grand opening, and uh, Nancy and Peter Lashinsky are gonna come up. And uh, actually, episode 24, if you guys listen, uh, which happened to be 24, which was kind of surreal because that was Matt Lashinsky's number in in the Sioux, and uh, just so happened to work out that episode 24 uh, featured Matt Thompson and two of Lashinsky's former teammates uh, when he was in the Sioux. And and it just worked out that it was episode 24 and I realized it the morning of and it was kind of cool. So um, we're never going to forget these guys and that's why we've started the Puck Support Foundation. And uh, I'm just going to share a quick story, guys. If you're having me on Facebook or Instagram, today was a very cool day. Um, one of the coolest days um, that I've experienced in a long, long time. A former student of mine that I used to coach one-on-one -on -one that I had lost contact with, Spencer Meyer, who uh, was featured on episode 27 of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, I was able to reconnect with him. Well, guess what? When I, while I was coaching him, I was going through my own struggles and I lost contact with him as he was trying to break into the WHL. And this guy had all the makings of a top hockey prospect uh, set for a great WHL career. Um, and I really thought he was going to succeed and, and um, unfortunately things derailed for him and, and um, man I had no idea uh, he's been suffering with his own addictions well guess what he was able to get himself out of it and he's uh, in the midst of opening a treatment center and uh, another kid uh, that I coached actually played in the WHL too is struggling uh, with homelessness and addiction to fentanyl and and, and multiple other things. And we were able to get him to Spencer's Treatment Center today. And there's a video of it, guys. And this was unbelievable. I can't even tell you guys how incredible it was. Um, it was just such a cool, cool experience. Um, I want to quickly say thanks to Steve Buckley and uh, for making that video and also uh, a new friend of mine, great sense of support, and one of my new great friends, Darren McCarty, four-time Stanley Cup champ, who is uh, right there to answer the phone and, and text me first thing every single morning to make sure I'm on track, and he wants to know when the next board of directors meeting is for the Puck Support Foundation. He opened the meeting, and I'm going to play it. I have the clip here loaded into my new roadcaster. I'm going to play it after I'm done talking to my guest because his time is worth uh, lots and lots. So uh, we're going to get right into the episode, and I'm really excited about this one, guys. Uh, he's not so much a professional hockey player, but he definitely has ties uh, to the hockey community, and some of the work he's done ties right in to the work that I'm doing. And uh, Usually I don't announce my guest's name till the end, but I'm going to get right into it, and, and I'm very lucky to have this guy on, uh, Adam uh, Scorgi, uh, originally from Trail, BC. Um, he's uh, widely known uh, for some of his incredible, incredible uh, produced work. He's a movie producer, guys. He's responsible for Ice Guardians, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Of course, I've had Chris Knuckles Nyland on the podcast, and um, he's been one of my role models since, you know, I've really, like, me even before, uh, just growing up, I told him, watching Rock'em Sock'em and all that shit, watching him bang these guys out, it was great, and I tried to, you know, play like this guy, and obviously it's a lot of the same struggles, and this movie, Ice Guardians, guys, like, wow, um, incredible, if you guys haven't seen it, check it out, 
Um, it's it's so good. It, it features a lot of guys in there. Um, such guys as Chris Chelios and Bobby Hall and Brett Hall and Dave Brown and Kelly Chase and Wendell Clark. I mean, the list, the list goes on and on and on. And guys I played with like Zen and Kanopka. Um, you know, Dave Semenko is featured in it. Rob Ray, who I'm hoping to get on the podcast. Brian McGratton, another guy. Um, it was included in Sports Illustrated's best film of 2016. Uh, and Newsweek's favorite documentaries of 2016. The film was nominated for four Rosie Awards in 2017, including Best Documentary Over 30 Minutes and nominated for two Leo Awards, including Best Feature Documentary and Best Director. The movie has recently, or has received mostly positive reviews, and I haven't been able to find one negative one from somebody in the hockey community. It, uh, it really really made waves guys and uh it uh it didn't stop there he's uh he's made another documentary uh making coco featuring grant fear of course grant fear needs no uh introduction by me he's the first black guy introduced into the hockey hall of fame wayne gretzky is regards him as the best goalie alt of all time so that's the greatest hockey player of all time he's on this documentary uh, on the record saying that Grand Fear is the greatest goalie of all time. So um, you guys think what you want, but I know my opinion on that. So what a cool video. Check that one, guys, out. And actually, the one that um, shocked me the most that I, that I haven't actually seen, the one that I want to see more than uh, any of them is this new one, Inmate Number 1, The Rise of Danny Trejo, who is, guys, if you guys... If you guys don't know his name, if you see his face, like, holy shit, everybody knows this guy. This guy is, like, one of the coolest actors ever. Um, and in this documentary, you know, it features his story. And I really had no idea that he had his own struggles with uh, heroin addiction and, and jail and crime, much like myself. And, and obviously, he had it on a whole nother level. This guy is a bad, bad dude at one time. And he turned his life around. And this documentary is... is helping troubled addicts it's really really incredible and you know what guys how about this adam scorgi he's been on the joe rogan experience not once but twice you hear that not once but twice episode 234 and episode 648 so let's get into it without further ado uh, not living in trail. He's in Alberta. He's on mountain time. Thank God because it's Eastern time. It's 1234 a.m. Hey hockey podcast network. Guess what? I'm gonna get you this episode before the morning. Don't sweat it. Adam Scorgi, thanks so much man for taking the time. Oh my pleasure. That could, that could be the, the greatest introduction I've ever had. I appreciate it. Well, hey, uh, you know what, man? It's uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to connect with you. It's you know, uh, actually, a lot of my guests. You know, I, I want to just say this quick: is I don't, uh, you know, a lot of them I've known. Like when I first started, obviously I had teammates, and I've you know known a lot of these guys. But I've had guys like Doug Gilmore and Darren McCarty, and uh, I haven't, honest to God, I never talked to them before going on, like re- just through text, just like yourself. And uh, the same goes for you. And um, so I appreciate, you know, you taking the time. Uh, I'd love to hear what you're getting up to these days. Um, but before we get into that, um, I want to talk uh, just a little bit. Um, did you have a chance to check out the Puck Support Foundation video that uh, Steve Buckley did? I did. Yeah, I did. I watched both of them that you sent to me there. And there's a great message there. And I love that, um, 
you know, I, we touched on this a little bit with Ice Guardians, and I love what you were, you were doing with your foundation and what you're trying to advocate for now because it's something that we came up with with Ice Guardians, and, you know, it was the few bad reviews we got where the people were like, oh, you're ignoring the, dra- the trauma and the, the stuff that these guys go through. We're like, no, we're saying that you're making the enforcer the scapegoat for everything wrong with hockey, and that's just not true because there's a ton of guys, like even just what you mentioned, in the introduction of, of guys that are battling addiction and suffering from mental illness that were not enforcers and didn't have head trauma. It doesn't just happen to those players. It happens to everyone. And by putting so much emphasis solely on the enforcers, you're actually negating a lot of other people to go through mental illness. And I know through my circles, and I won't out anybody, but I know a lot of superstars and Hall of Famers that are going through addiction and substance abuse as well. But they have the money to keep it hidden. They have publicists to hide that stuff, right? So normally the stuff that comes to the forefront is the third and fourth line guys, right? The guys that are grinders, and then it's always thrown on, oh, it's because they took punches to the head, and oh, it's because it's the concussion drama. Well, that's not entirely true. Sure, pugilistic dementia and head trauma we know is unhealthy, but it isn't the only purpose for addiction. My brother is an addict. He's been battling in and out of rehab for years, and my brother never played contact sports. So for us to put such a strong narrative solely on the one thing, we're missing a lot of other things that evolve in addiction. Addiction and mental illness is a very complicated illness. And to just, I know we'd all love it. I'd love it as having an addict in my family. I'd love to just point the one thing and put a Band-Aid on it. Be like, if we could just fix this, then it would be over. But that's not how addiction works. And, you know, I really thought the media drove down such a wrong narrative of the enforcers and what they brought to locker rooms, the game of hockey, and to, to, the, to the evolution of hockey outside of the pugilistic matters, right? To me, that's where I've become dear friends with many of these guys, and they'll forever be my favorite players, not just because of, you know, the excitement they brought on the ice, but you see the way and the respect that the team and the room carried for them, and you know that they meant more to that team than just dropping well, gloves. Well, that's just it, right? And this is the thing, right? So uh, a lot of these guys are, you know, the the rough and tough guys on the ice, but as soon as you get them off the ice, they're the first ones in, or they're not, you know, the first ones to be involved in charities with sick kids and this. And you know what? If the team has to do, say, like a uh, a mandatory um, meet where everybody has to go, you notice who the last ones to stick around are. It's always these guys, right? And and they have the biggest yeah. hearts and um. So it's a really hard thing for for these enforcers to have to go through. And listen, I was not an enforcer by any means. I I had a lot of fights. I had uh, between playing. I didn't play a lot of pro games because my first year pro, I got all messed up in the oxies and everything else, and I did a little comeback. But I mean, listen, I didn't play a lot of pro games. It was my after my first year pro. I got hurt my first year pro. After that, that was it pretty much. Uh, but through my Western League career and my pro, I think I had you know 67 fights fights in, in four seasons and that's that's a, a few that, that's a lot of fights that's a lot that's a lot of fights that's a lot. and and I was but I, again yeah, I wasn't fighting um the toughest guys in the league but I fought guys like Derek Dorsett and I fought Ben Olsen who was the toughest guy in the league at, in the Western League my 20 year old year and luckily I I didn't get hit by him but yeah. again like these guys like I so for me, I can only speak on my experience, but I've also talked to a lot of these guys. So you have to go from zero to a hundred, and then you have to fucking go home and calm down and be a family guy and be with your kids and and be all this. And how the hell are you supposed to go from up and down and up and down? And then all of a sudden, you know, it's just crazy. Well, that's that's I I couldn't 
I couldn't agree more. That's one of the biggest things missed and why you're seeing this happen in not just the pugilists or the enforcers as you're seeing it and happening in athletes. How about just someone like yourself? You played, you know, you have to play some levels of pro to a level of pro, but you train probably, you're probably skating from the time you were five, six, right? And you're always training and you have a routine and you're with your teammates. There's a lifestyle that you get accustomed to training three, four days a week, going with your team, traveling with your comrades. And then all of a sudden when the game just leaves you, right now, Try not to go into depression, not even headaches or concussions or anything else. Just your life changes. Even if you get the green and you make the NHL and you get five years in the NHL, which that's now, now we're getting statistics where it's like 0.0001, yeah. right? And then just the game doesn't love you back. It's anymore. crazy. It's over. And even a lot of your boys, even a lot of your boys don't call you back or whatever as quickly. It's not because they don't want to talk to you, but because they're still playing. They're on the road. Right? You're not with them anymore, and your life changes instantly. This is something, not just in hockey, but in pro sports, when I've interviewed a ton of athletes in all different genres. And a lot of them always say, they're like, man, that's the part that sent me to depression. Is like, I've been training for this since I was seven years old, and now my life, now I just get up and I don't have to do anything. And it's like, you know, I don't have to be somewhere, I'm not regimented. Like, sure, I go to work out, and I... I pick my kids up from school, but like now my life is like I'm, you know, late twenties, early thirties, and the the game I love is saying my dream is over. Like go find something else, right? Unless you can transition into being a coach or a manager or a scout or something if you enjoy that. But that happens with like all athletes is that in the peak, which is supposed to be in the peak of your adulthood, the game usually doesn't yeah, love you yeah. back. And that is the mental illness in a lot of people that always gets overlooked. Everybody wants to put it to an injury and say, well, if this injury or this, uh, and I've, you know, I've talked to some of the concussion guys and, and the specialists and they're like, man, like science just doesn't work like that. And if you look at people in addiction, again, I, I talk about my brother, my brother never played contact sports and he has severe problems with addiction. So for us to always say it's just head trauma, it's just concussions, it's just this is wrong. It's doing a disservice to a lot of people that suffer from mental illness that don't have head trauma. There's a lot of things that come into addiction and mental health that is more than just that. So that was always when we did Ice Guardians, that was always, we wanted to tell the story of the side of the enforcers because so many of them felt that they were just misrepresented by the media for years, right? That they were just big dummies that didn't belong and they're a disgrace to hockey and you know, whether you agree with fighting in hockey or not, you know, the guys that did it, they are part of hockey's history and their story needed to be honored. And that's why we did Ice Guardians. And if you notice in Ice Guardians, there's no narration. We only let the players narrate the film. There's no, you know, that was always a problem with me when you'd watch a news piece is that it's got some journalists putting their spin on all the information and the interviews they get, right? We just let the guys say what they wanted to say. Yeah, and, you know, I, you know, Riley Cote was featured in that too, and he's an ambassador for the Puck Support Foundation. He's going to be on the podcast here shortly. And, um, you know, this is the thing with fighting in hockey. And, you know, hockey is not your average sport. So you're going to get... Um, different takes on it, and I've had uh, guys like James McEwen, who I played with in, in the Western League, and if you don't know who he is, he was the captain of the Clone Rockets, and he played minor pro, and he was uh, he was uh, one of the toughest guys in the dub, and um, he, man, you should see some of the fights this guy had, and while well, now, um, you know, he's struggling, and so he actually is the one leading the charge in the class action lawsuit against the CHL, and people have different opinions on it, and like I have said before I knew about it, I was like, you know, I accepted the responsibilities of a hockey player, I loved being a warrior, um, 
you know, I knew that I was, you know, had the chance of every time I was going to go on the ice, there's, I was going to chance of getting a concussion or getting hurt or, and then chances of that go up even more every time I drop the gloves and, and so forth. And then, you know, so when I've heard about the lawsuit, I signed up for it and just more or less to get uh, information. But then my buddy said to me, um, he's like, well, listen, he's like, think about it. When we had concussions, he's like, did you take care of yourself or did you go to the team party and continue to do all whatever else you were doing? And like, did you really take care of yourself? And like, no, I didn't. But at the same time, it's like, well, I don't know. I just kept playing through it and all the pressures to keep playing through. It's just, it's such a crazy cycle. And so where's the answer? Do you take fighting out of hockey? It's such a violent sport, even without fighting in it. Things happen so fast where we react fight or flight and like if you don't have fighting in hockey like i i people say yeah it'll get cheap i agree uh, i i don't like the new brand of hockey myself i watch old hockey since this covid 19 thing is on i love the old hockey i don't know what you think yeah oh, i'm i'm with you and i and i really think that again i think blaming the enforcer and i know james McEwen well too I'm, I'm friends with him in Kelowna, and i i understand everybody's different opinion on it right and i don't I don't think either of them are wrong. I mean, at the time when we did that, we didn't know about head trauma and concussions, right? So a lot of guys, like, I'm really good friends with Scott Parker. I went to school with him, and, and Parker would say, man, he's like, there are times when, like, the ice was changing colors, right? And they'd be like, you good? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm good, right? So now I do like the fact that, you know, at least there's concussion protocol and stuff because like any injury, when, and when a brain injury is serious, you know, or like, you sprain your ACL. That's bad. And if you don't recoup it properly and you go back and then you tear it, you get a four-point tear, well, now you never walk the same. So concussions are the same, right? The concussion specialist told us, like, you get a concussion and you go through the proper stuff and you heal and you take, you know, the adamant, the adequate time to rest and do stuff and then you come back and it won't be as bad. And you could play and maybe not get another one. But so many guys, right, had one and didn't even know you know, like there would be guys that are virtually unconscious on the bench that they'd give them smelling salts to wake up back in the day, right? And they're like, oh, it's just you got your bell rung. You're good. Get back out there. It was just the knowledge of them. But, I mean, shit, they used to have guys that used to smoke in the dressing room between periods, right? Like that was just, you know, the, the way we understand health in our body has just drastically changed in the decades, especially as the sports got more competitive. But, you know, having a daughter that plays competitive hockey, I can tell you where I see the problems where – People say, okay, if we just eliminate fighting, we're going to eliminate all the problems of the game. Wrong. Because right now, statistically, going to every concussion specialist we've done is 90 to 95% of concussions come from the speed of the game and the hits and the collisions. Because the hits now, because everybody's faster and they're better athletes, body checks have now turned into yeah. collisions. So as we say in Ice Guardians, if you really, if you really, if concussions are really your concern, and you're like, well, I don't like fighting because of concussions. Well, then it's really hard. I don't, I, I don't know how you can justify it, but I'm okay with somebody going, running into somebody at 35 miles an hour with armor on, right? Because that's assault as well, right? If you didn't do that on the ice, you did that anywhere else, that's assault, right? And more guys get serious concussions from a clean, clean, not breaking any rules, from a clean hit. You don't even need to hit the head. As we explained in Ice Guardians, you can go shoulder to chest, and if the guy's head jars... And it rocks his brain. That's what concussion is. You don't need a direct headshot for a concussion. In fact, most car accidents and most concussions, when they see a concussion specialist, they're always confused because they're like, well, I never hit my head. And the concussion specialist is like, you don't need to. If your brain snaps and your neck snaps, that will give you a severe concussion. So in the women's game, I see it all the time. So my daughter plays, you know, Bantam AA. 
and they don't allow hitting. They allow rubbing off. But the girls are always have their head down because they're never expecting a hit. So concussions in college hockey, in NCAA hockey, is number two in women's right under football. Now, women's hockey supposedly doesn't allow hitting or fighting, yet their concussions are off the charts high. It's because the game is incredibly fast, you're wearing armor, and they're not prepared for hits. And that's what you're seeing in the NHL, too. Like, if you really wanted the elephant in the room, if you want to reduce concussions drastically in the NHL, then you need to drastically slow down the game. You need to reduce equipment size. You need to bring the two-line pass back into play. Otherwise, you have to. You just have to be okay with how many concussions are you okay playing with, because you eliminate fighting, which I think is going to come in the next five to ten years. Whether we want to see that happen or not, it just kind of seems to be the way the game is evolving. And then you will see that there are still is a ton of concussions, if not more. You will see them at a high rate because guys are going so fast, and they launch into you with recklessness now because there's no repercussions, right? Like. If they're a second late, okay, they get a suspension. That's equivalent to you and me getting a, an excessive speeding ticket. It sucks, but it isn't going to kill their bank account. They're like, okay, I'll rest my injuries for a couple of days and I'll come back and yeah. I'll pay the fine. I really liked what you said there. Like, I wish I, I, I need to like go back and, and really listen to that because uh, it, what you said there makes so much sense and I've never actually thought like a lot about that and about all of it in its entirety and uh i've actually noticed uh, quickly uh, there's a couple things i wish i had a pen i was usually I write things down i really wish i was writing stuff down on that i mean obviously i can go back and listen to it later but um you know i've been watching uh, i've been trying to interact with a lot of people on instagram and facebook and you know there's a lot of these young kids and they make these videos of course and um what i've been noticing is they all have their head down <laughs> all of them every single one of yeah. these kids so that's what i'm telling them i'm like that's great that you're hitting all the target like yeah you're hitting all the targets you're but your head is down 90 percent of the time like so what happens when you know uh, to me it's like they're doing all these crazy tricks and stuff but where is their head like they're looking down and if you're playing against me you're gonna get laid out i'm sorry and but but before you sit, jump in there i want to say with the women's hockey First off, um, okay, first off, before I say anything, I want to apologize about my intro because I always get these two v movies mixed up. There's two separate documentaries. There's the one, um, The Last Gladiators, which was featured Chris Nyland, and then, of course, um, yours, yep. Ice Guardians. And I, for whatever reason, I always get them mixed up. And I'll be honest, I didn't know Ice Guardians because I was actually in jail when it came out. So when I got out of jail, it was on Netflix, and it was like the first movie I watched because I think I think on Netflix at the time, it was Derek Bugard's picture that was that was uh, uh, featured, and I played with I played with Aaron yeah. uh, the year after Derek passed away uh, down in Rio Grande. Oh. And like, if you actually look and Google, and people listening can Google this. So like, um, I haven't spoke to Aaron since this time, and you have to remember that this is right after it happened. So you know, it was bullshit. Aaron was on. Um, uh, conditions because he, you know, allegedly tampered with the the crime scene, and realistically, he was just trying to not make his brother look you know, like he died as a drug addict. Is what I took from it, and and I would yeah. have done the same thing. And it's really, it's really a terrible situation. So he was on conditions, and he was just really quiet. And and but he was such a good guy. But if you look in Google, there's a couple times like there was a time I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on a podcast before, but like there was a time where I got 
into a fight with a fan and actually there was two separate incidents and actually Aaron attacked a photographer it's on Google it was Aaron got suspended from the league for punching a photographer because the photographer uh, said something to me about my addiction um, called me a junkie or something like that and Aaron took a swing at this guy like and then um, it was not long after that we were playing in Wichita Kansas okay and there was a story that came out about me coming back and how I was a heroin addict and all this stuff really nice story and for the most part people were really supportive this is back in like 2012 like February or March and I'm down in Texas and so we're playing in Wichita and right behind the fucking glass there's these fans heckling us and this these fans are going leave well you're a crackhead you're a crack and I turn around and I'm like if if anybody knows me I was like Matthew Barnaby I was the biggest mouthpiece um fight anybody I don't care like I was the biggest chirp mouthpiece ever like period and so I turn around and I'm like I'm not a crackhead I'm a heroin addict wrong drug bud like you know what I mean I'm just that's what I said to him right <laughs> like I just laughing right and I'm like wrong drug wrong drug right and um, in the same moment I think I think Boogie said uh, Aaron Bugard told this guy to fuck off and this fan um, said to Aaron he said I hope you go to hell with your brother and I fucking oh, lost it. God. He fucking lost it. Our coach lost it. It was, I couldn't fucking believe my ears. Excuse my language. But honestly, I'm then, so get this. This is the same guy that was saying uh, I was a crackhead. It's the same guy. And this was in the media and shit. I had to, I had to go on Twitter and apologize because the, this motherfucker was standing by our bus when we came out with our fucking bags taunting me. I almost, oh my God, I just about fucking killed this guy. I'm, I'm like really wound up. I'm trying to not swear on my podcast, but I'm telling you, I'll, I'll find the dog. I'll, I'll post it on this thing. I'll send you the links, man. It was crazy. But like Aaron, you know what I mean? Yeah. He was, you know, so that's, you know, I just want to quickly say, um, I apologize to you in the intro. They're both really great movies, but the ice guardians one, I remember that was like, that was the first movie I watched when I got to Ontario, uh, like four or five days after I got out of jail on Netflix, it was like, and I didn't even know it existed. So it was such like, I was just blown away by it. Um, but yeah, no, I just do before I, I'm going to shut up here, but I just want to say, I love your point about female hockey because I think they should definitely allow hitting and quickly too. When I was in jail, I saw, um, the skills competition that they opened with that female. Yeah. I forget her name, the American skater. Holy shit. Coins. Wasn't that awesome? That was one of the coolest things I've ever man, seen. Girls, Go ahead. The, the, the girls can skate, man. They can really skate. It's their, like, even whenever I bring my daughter. So my my daughter's dream, which she, she's the most dedicated 13-year-old I know. Like, she is always working. And people are like, you push her too hard. I'm like, I don't tell her to do shit. I ask her, do you want to do this? And she's like, yes. Like, if she could be on the ice every day, she'd be on the ice every day. So she pushes herself, but she's specifically playing for a spring team here coming up. She's playing for the Vipers that's got a mix thing with modified hitting. And I was worried about it, and she wanted to jump right in because she's like, Dad, I need to learn to play with my head up. The girls play way too much with their head down. And I'm like, who are you? Like, you're 13. Like, I was trying to beat Nintendo <laughs> games when I was 13. I was not trying to... So in the modified hitting, I talked a lot to the team, to the te uh, team putting it on. They're like, look, there's going to be no open ice hittings. They're going to rub off on the boards, and they'll see that she's a girl with long hair, so no one's going to really – it's a spring league, so they're not – or a summer league now. So they're not – it's not. It's competitive, but no one's going to try to headhunt and get anybody injured here. And I was like, okay. 
she was gung-ho. She was saying yes before it could even happen. I'm like, well, you just haven't trained for it. And they're doing a practice to, to learn how to do the modified hitting. So, But I see it in my daughter's game every every week that they play when she plays in a regular league because the refing changes game to game. And that's where I'm like, wow, if you can't even ref it properly here, and you see it in the NHL too. Like, I'll watch games, and I'm like, oh, so I guess anytime your stick touches another stick, it's hooking today. And then other games, like I'm, I'll, I'll confess to being an Oilers fan, McDavid will get molested, and there's nothing, right? And I'm not complaining. That's just the game is too fast, and the refing is inconsistent for every game. And I'm not saying I'm not getting into conspiracies or favoritism of play. It just it is. It's I've even interviewed refs that have said, man, like they've said McDavid could draw a penalty every time he touches the puck. So we just we we don't call it all the time. And I'm like, but either it's a rule on the book or it's not. But that's the problem is it, you know no other sport is dealing where you're on a foreign ice surface, you've got razor blades on your feet, and you're going faster than you and than And you else, cannot right? go that anywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you're enclosed in boards, exactly, where you don't, you know, in football you get hit outside into the crowd, in hockey you get hit into boards that have no give. And I know, you know, to an, an, an unknowing fan, they're like, well, the boards kind of move. I'm like, not really. Like, the boards move because they're hitting them with a <laughs> lot of force. There isn't a lot of give in those boards. They'd hurt yeah. a lot. So you see with it, and I and a lot of the girls, I think I think it would be better for. I'd love to see, and then you'd see of it. I'd love to see them say, "Hey, we're going to try modified hitting for a season and actually see if it reduces concussions." Because I think if you train the girls to be prepared for it, and they you know get their necks tougher and they do everything to brace, because again, a lot of the girls, there's no fighting and no hitting, but they have rampant concussions because the girls skating has now really gotten close to the men. As Kendall Coyne showed, I mean, she was like a fraction of a second off of McDavid, and she beat 12 NHL All-Stars, right? As a female, it's only like 5'5". Five, five. So they can really fucking skate, but now when you're never expecting a hit, and you have your head down to dangle, and two of you accidentally collide, and you go shoulder to chest, both girls get yeah. severe concussions. Many girls I know that... You know, they just signed their dream. They signed with an NCAA school, and they play their first year, and boom, they bump in like that, and out, done. They have such severe concussions, their career's over. So it isn't just a, a problem in the NHL with fighting, and that's, again, kind of circling to the beginning of our conversation, is they just think that for so long it was misguided, you know, and putting all the emphasis on the enforcers. Sure, they're going through a lot, and a lot of these guys are – you know, do have problems, and we're not we're not saying that head trauma isn't a thing, but it's it's uh, actually doing an injustice to other people with addiction and mental illness to focus solely on that because they aren't the only ones going through it. There's many many players that didn't have big head trauma, didn't have concussions, and they're going through similar struggles that you and other guys had. It's not addiction doesn't pick just on injuries; it it affects all walks. No, of I I agree. I I certainly one hundred percent agree with you. I, I definitely think that other things factor in and may may increase risk or whatever. Yeah, Contacting for sure. But uh, but I agree with you one hundred percent. Like so, it goes back to what I talk about a lot is is finding meaning and purpose. And when that is taken away from from an athlete, like it like. 
it's fucking really it's hard to replace I've talked about it before so if I'm playing in front of 15 or 20,000 people and then I get in a fight with somebody and like this happened let's say in a couple of different arenas and this is a true story where like the other fans hate me so much because that's how big of a mouthpiece and ch cheap player sometimes I was that the fans hated me too and they'd be chanting my last name like leave old like do you guys like people have no idea like how do you replace that like when that's gone so you 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 hit the you hit the nail on the head there is like finding purpose right and for an athlete and they've been training because let's be honest maybe there's a few freaks that can start super late and get to the you know the pro level but most most athletes in any sport start at a very young age and become very good at it and then when that's taken away you identify as that right like that's something even now with how much my daughter loves hockey I always remind her, she's like, I'm a hockey player. I'm like, no, no, no. You know, I'm like, you're a very smart young woman that loves the sport of hockey. You're not just a hockey player. Don't label yeah. yourself as that. That is, you are so much more than that, right? Because that is a problem. Once you lose purpose, anything in life, whatever, and that's, you, you hit the nail on the head. And that's why there's some guys like McGratton that had addiction problems. He got sober, and then he fought for seven years in the NHL and had like another hundred fights since then. He's like, it wasn't the fighting that caused my addiction. Because he's like, I fought for seven years after that, right? He's like, and didn't do, and you know, I've been, he's been sober now, I think 10 or 11, right? So it isn't just the fighting. Can it compound and everything weigh in? But the biggest thing, like you said, and that's what my brother's struggling with right now is finding purpose. And not having a purpose can send you down a dark path really and, quick. And can I, I'm just going to jump in quick. So that, I just thought of this. So as a, you know, sometimes even as a enforcer, let's say, go back to that, uh, as much as the time of enforcers, as much as uh, even they knew their role as an enforcer, um, at the same time, you almost don't feel like you're as a part of the team, even though you're almost the biggest part of the team, because um, you feel like you almost feel like you're stuck doing the shitty jobs. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, fuck, we don't have to do that shitty yeah. job because don't worry, Brady's going to do it or fucking, you know, uh, you know, Scorgy's going to do it. Don't we don't have to worry yeah. about it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the and, and I've played on teams and I've been the guy that guys were looking at like, OK, don't worry, he's going to take care of it. And I've also been on teams where I've been the guy looking over and been like, OK, thank God, fucking Aaron Bugard's on my team. So he's going to fight that guy. And I don't you know what I mean? So I. I've been on both sides of it and like that's sort of like maybe I'm not sure like so yes we want to focus and people are really focusing on um, CTE and all this thing and yes like you said they have compound compounding factors and everything but I really like what you said and I, I really just think that like there there's so many mitigating circumstances to every single situation and you have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis but being able to provide support for people so like with the puck support foundation like our you know we have our vision and ken campbell from the hockey news really helped us with that he you know he um edited my version of it which was great uh for him to do that i really thank him for that um but 
the shortened version of it is like we're the team when the team is no longer there so like now that this guy today we got him into treatment and stuff like I talked to him on the phone he was this guy this kid was in tears today you know he's been uh, he's been to jail he was yeah. in the WHL but now he's been to jail he's been homeless he's been struggling with addiction and um, I was saying to him like don't worry man like you're on the team now like we got you and my other buddy called him and tomorrow Darren McCarty's gonna call him and like you know what I mean so like when he's done his treatment yeah. when he's done his treatment now you know by the time he's done treatment here in a month or two months uh where we'll be at with the foundation we'll be able to give him you know some sort of whether it's a paid position or a volunteer position if he you know he can go and share his story now we can empower him and give him purpose and that's what's going to keep him clean and that's what's going to keep me clean and keep this whole thing going and, and and bring people out of the darkness from mental health and addiction and all of it yeah, no, dude, you're right, and that's a, that's a very admirable thing that you're doing. And, I mean, that's something you want to look at. You mentioned at the top of your, I'm not trying to drop my other films, but look, you look at someone like Danny Trey, right? That was, he was facing three three sentences of gas chamber bull fences because he allegedly incited a prison riot in Soledad Prison in 1968, and he threw a, a rock and hit a lieutenant in the head, which when you're in a maximum security prison is a gas chamber bull offense. So when he was sitting in, in, in um, isolation for a year, they put him in the hole. You can't do that anymore, right? But this is back in the, yep. back in the 60s. Um, to keep himself from going crazy, he would, you know, he would sing like Wizard of Oz and he would do stuff like that. And then he also, he prayed to God and he said, God, if you exist, just let me die with dignity and I will say your name for the rest. I'll praise your name for the rest of my life and I will help my fellow man. And he got off. The prison guard couldn't identify who threw the rock, so Danny took that as a sign from God, and he honored that promise, and he's been sober for 53 years since then. Addicted to heroin in prison, turned his life around, and then the bigger part, as you see in the trailer that we talk about, is he can pinpoint it to the time that everything good that has happened to him is a direct result of helping somebody else. Everything. And that comes to the very first moment when he got out of rehab, where he talked about like he was just about to relapse and then his sponsor waited outside of his house and Danny comes running out and he's like, what are you still doing here? He's like, I knew you couldn't last in there very long. Let's go for a drive. Let's go to a meeting. And then it started, he started a landscaping company and there was a lady across the street that before he went to prison, her yard was immaculate. It was like that, you know, everyone used to marvel at how pristine her yard was. But then her husband passed away when Danny was in prison so as he'd get more and more money, you know, once he built up his landscaping company, he would go and he would put in some new sod and then he would trim the hedges and he put in some bushes. And then another ne next uh, neighbor said, like, how much are you charging? You know, what's her name there to do her yard? And Danny's like, nothing. And the guy's like, nothing. You're doing that out of the goodness of your heart. And Danny's like, yes. And he's like, really? And he's like, yes. He's like, she used to have the you know, most beautiful lawn when I was growing up in yard. And now that's sad to see it like this. So she's part of my neighborhood. So I'm helping her. So then the guy goes, okay, well come in my garage. And he goes in the garage and Danny talks about it being, he's like, man, he's like, he had so many tools in there. He's like, and you knew if a tool was missing because it was one of those garages where they would trace it. So if you move the hammer, the hammer tracing was on the wall. If you move the blower and the guy said, you can have all this equipment to use for your landscaping company, $6,000 worth of equipment, hedgers, everything you could imagine. He's like, as long as you continue to do hers and you do mine for free because I had a stroke. So I'm not supposed to do it anymore. So because Danny helped this lady that never asked for help, never even came out, she was like a 
real hermit. She would just kind of put iced tea out for them every once in a while and kind of go in her house. He got a landscaping company, and when that guy gave all the tools, he's able to expand it, and that was his first thing. And then him doing a good deed is how he got his first job on a movie because he was a drug counselor for 15 years, long before he got into film, and he was just jumping into bed watching Johnny Carson, and he had a sponsor call and said, Danny, there's all this cocaine. I think I'm going to slip. And Danny said, okay, I'll be right there. And he went down, and he ended up getting on the movie set of Runaway Train. And as soon as they saw his look and everything like that, as soon as he walked on, they're like, hey, like, can you be an extra? And Danny's like, an extra of what? They're like, an extra in a movie. And he's like, well, what do you need me to do? And they're like, well, we need you to look like a convict. And he's like, oh, I'm pretty sure I can do that. And they're like, how much does it pay? And they're like, 30 bucks a day. He's like, shit, yeah, give me these blues. He's like, these will fit better on me than anybody else mm-hmm. in the room. And then... The assistant director recognized him, Eddie Bunker, who also served time. He was a famous playwright. He wrote Reservoir Dogs um, and played Mr. Blue. He knew Danny because Danny was a welterweight champion of San Quentin when he was there in, in serving. So he said, hey, you're Danny Trejo. And he was like, yeah. And he said, look, we, we uh, are you still boxing? And Danny's like, no, you know, I can't get a license because I have a criminal record. So I just train and keep in shape. And he said, well, we've got this actor, Eric Roberts. We need someone to train him. All the other trainers are having a tough time with him. Danny goes, okay, sure. And then he's like, oh, but he's like, I just got off of this, act, this extra gig. Like, how much are you guys going to pay to do the other one? And they said, they're like, we'll pay you 300 bucks a day. And Danny goes, for 300 bucks a day? How bad do you want this guy beat up? I'll go kick the shit out of him right now. And they're like, no, 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 no. Nobody needs to get beat up. And they're like, oh, you want him to beat me up? They're like, shit, give him a stick. He's like, I've been beat up for free by the cops. Oh, no problem. They're like, no, Danny. Nobody needs to get beat up. He's like, you're just going to train him. He's an actor. And he's like, really? Okay, shit. And that's how it started. He went down to help a sponsor. And by going down to help a sponsor, he turned his life. And then is now, he's become arguably the most successful Mexican-American actor in Hollywood history. All because he went to help other people. That's such a great story, isn't it? Like, and uh, I've really, um, actually, I watched the trailer with my girlfriend and her parents last night, and uh, you know, I can't wait to uh, to check it out. But um, another great movie um, that you guys put together was The Culture High, and um, yeah. that is really about the weed culture and, and how it's transformed the world, and um, that you know, that's sort of what you were on the Joe Rogan experience about in episode 234 for sure, was it not? Yeah, well, those both, well, Joe was in both those films. Joe, <laughs> I worked with Joe a lot over the years. It's interesting. I've kind of seen him grow as I've grown. You know, uh, we originally worked with Joe, obviously, uh, on The Union. The Business Behind Getting High was our first marijuana film, which was released in 2007. And when we had Joe in this, I'm staring at the poster right now, when we had Joe on this, at this time, people only knew Joe because of Fear Factor and the UFC. Some people maybe knew him from news radio, but you barely knew him as a comedian, and you barely knew him like outside of anything else other than those two things. And when they saw him in the call in the union, people would always be like, "Dude, Fear Factor guy? Like, I didn't realize he was that funny, and I didn't realize he was the only guy, one of the only celebrities we could find that wasn't an activist with." Um, uh, along with Tommy Chong that would talk about using cannabis because like back then in 2005 when we were filming people in the media and suburb did not talk about using cannabis that was a harsh no-no now it's like you know it's like seems like eight in every ten people are using some form of CBD or some form of the plant for some kind of ailment but 
he was the only one. So we built a good friendship over that. And I think a lot of people saw him. He said for a lot of times when he was doing comedy, people would yell out, like, the union. And he's like, damn. He's like, you guys did good with that doc. So then, yeah, he had me on the podcast uh, the first time. And then he brought me on again for the culture high. And then that's when he said, he's like, dude, I'll do your other one. No problem. And then, then we kind of held him to it. It was kind of like, hey, Joe, you said you'd be back. And he was like, he was like, oh, man, he's like, I'm so busy these days. And he's like, but I'll do it, I'll do it. And he came up to Edmonton. He was doing a comedy tour up here. And then uh, uh, we got him after his, like, long day. We're up till 1 in the morning. He went and did a two-and-a-half-hour interview with us after he just did wow. two comedy shows. So I, I owe a lot to Joe. Joe has always been – what you hear on his podcast is he's legitimately that guy. He likes to see other people succeed, and he always likes to help. You see him with all of his comedian friends. Their careers have all skyrocketed from the podcast, and he's – helped us tremendously he's never asked for anything he's done interviews for both of them he's promoted both films he's never asked for any money he's never asked for anything the one way we kind of paid him back a little bit is that we did a release through vimeo and vimeo sponsored five podcasts but like there's a weird place because Vimeo's like oh ask joe ask joe i was like look i've never had to cross the money thing with joe i've never asked joe in that way so if you guys want to try to get him to be an official sponsor here's his email and you guys set up that deal but i'm not I don't want to approach yeah. that. Like, I know him as a friend. We've got a good relationship. I don't want to cross. Because right when his podcast was hitting, I'd say it's peak. I mean, but now he just did that monstrous deal. But, I mean, I've been listening to it since episode one. Like, I was funny. I was talking to Luke Gazdick, and Gazdick was kind of like, dude, he's like, you've been on Rogan's podcast? I'm like, dude, twice. He's like, shut the fuck up. He's like, no offense to Ice Guardians, but that's your greatest accomplishment. I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> and he was like, He's like, dude, I didn't know you were on And I was like, yeah. Uh, so right when Joe was, was catapulting like that, I mean, he was always helping us out. And I've, I've seen it's, it's fascinating to see how his podcast is now. I mean, I listen to it religiously, and it is, you know, it's a bigger staple than, like, Larry King Live or anything now. Oh, I'm, I, I fucking love that show, actually. No, this is a true story, too. So um, I've, I've shared the story. Like, I'm having a little girl here in October. Like, I met this girl. Yeah, I met this. I met this girl that I'm with now, Taylor. Uh, actually, while I was in jail, through one of her friends that was in there, and I just, her and I just hit it off. And she actually, and I got out, and, and that's the first time I saw her. And we've been together for these last seven months or whatever it's been, and it's been absolutely incredible. Um, but the first night that I got out of jail, we stayed in a hotel, and we watched that. That's what we did. We watched the Joe Rogan podcast with the fucking with Elon Musk on. It. I was like, you gotta see this. Like, that is like the one of my. That was my. That was my go-to on my first date with her. Here, watch this podcast, and that's really why. You know, that was how I started the idea to get my podcast was through Joe Rogan. Like, obviously, it's two totally different uh, ideas, but like, I'll tell it. Like, seriously, man, I was like trying to figure out what to do to figure out ways to make money. I was just still stuck in my old ways of trying to scheme and crime and everything. Even though I wasn't using, it was like, oh, maybe I'll do this score or do this and. Like that was my mentality. That's where I was at. I was so far gone and things just, I just was like, I got to do something. And I was like, I got to start, I got to start a podcast. And I just started it. And here we are like, fuck almost 30 episodes later. And it's been, well, yeah, I, I would, I would say that Joe, like he inspired podcasts, like all of, I don't know how many there were when he did it, but like when he first started to me, there's, I, I'm sure there was a lot more, but the only ones I knew about was like Adam Carolla, Mark Maron and like Joe Rogan. They were like the only guys, like when, it, when I would even say, do you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast? You were like, what's a podcast? 
And now I think there's something like a quarter million of them, right? Like there's so yeah. many of them. And it's, it's interesting that you, like, I really think the hockey community, and I'm not taking anything away from the Spit and Chicklets guys, but I think they were just the first to kind of jump in there and talk hockey and talk shooting the shit that wasn't your boring NHL, like, well, there's no Hawaiian team. We just go out there and try to, like, they just talked real life, like the struggles of being on a team and chirping each other and just where you're like, yeah, that's more yeah. what I like more real i know that's where joe rogan connected with me and i'll forever be a listener is just he revolutionized the platform of having people on like i can't talk i can't remember how many times there'd be somebody that would come on the show that i'd be like oh i hate this motherfucker and i would listen to the show and after two and a half hours of being on with joe i'm like i have a whole new perspective <laughs> of this guy or girl i'd be like wow they changed my opinion completely or the other way some people i'd be like, so excited to listen to but then I'd be like, man, they really didn't have anything interesting to say in two and a half hours. Like it was really quite boring because when you're, when you do, cause I do traditional media too for my stuff. And when you do, it's like four minutes, right? You have to tell people when it's airing, they'll ask you the generic question. So how did this idea come about? Here it is. Right. And then you have to make sure you hit all the points. You have to like, you know, you have to thank your team because it's a team that makes a film just like a sports team. There's no one person that makes a film. It's not just the director producers the editors the writers your grip it is a team that puts a film together that's why the end credits are so important so you have five minutes when you're on there you're like okay i got to mention when it's premiering who funded it who's my creative team and and give an inspiring antidote of why we wanted to do it right but when you're on a podcast then you just get this free thing where you can just talk and that's where like i i can't even like listen to other media now because it's such bullshit talking points talking heads that i'm just like oh, i know i can't like you know, especially like like especially political shows when they're trying to handle a, a convoluted debate. I mean, that's why we did a long form of Ice Guardians. Is the concussion debate was so poorly represented by so many of the big name media, right? Only focusing on one thing instead of really looking at the bigger picture, right? So, uh, I I love that format, and I I can only ever say amazing things about Joe because he's been so helpful now he's been in we're doing michael bisming's documentary right now we're just uh, we've got one last pickup shoot and we're hoping to release this fall and joe rogan interviewed for that too and i almost like joe's such a spectacular interview that anytime you can get him i'm like dude even if it's 20 minutes fuck his like time of sitting down and ratio to footage you use from him is unreal like always get it but like i feel people are gonna be like man fucking joe rogan's and like everything adam does like and i and i feel bad like I don't want to keep asking Joe either. I'm like, fuck, I've asked him like three of my 10 movies Joe's been in, right? Or, or the ones that I've solely produced, six of them, he's been in like half of them. So I'm kind of like, I can't ask Joe anymore. I feel like I'm, I'm abusing our friendship at this point to keep asking him. But he's such a great interview and he knows so many different subjects to talk about, right? That if you have a chance, you always That's the thing is he's it. so smart. Like he is, and so uh, fun and interesting to listen to, and that's what you said, right? He brings out he brings out so many interesting talking points in so many people. But what a cool experience that must have been! Like, what what so what what, what was the coolest thing about it? Like the first time you went down there, like how this was in what year? Because this is like he's on like what episode now? Like twenty seven hundred or something like that. Well, I don't know. Yeah, so we were in there early. It was when it was in his old studio with Red Band, right? It's not around anymore. By the time I went the next time, he then had Jamie was like his his technical guy and research guy, and it was in his whole new like brand new killer studio. Um, it's it's like a time warp, 
when you go in there. It really is. Like, both times, it's like you blink and it's over. And you're like, dude, like, fuck, we've been here for two and a half, three hours. I think both my podcasts are pushing the three-hour mark. We just go in there and rap for three hours, and it just flies by. Where you're just like, damn, it goes by so quick. And it's and it, it's tough, like, because, you know, Joe's super cool and has had me on. But I'm a big fan of the show, so... You know, I don't ever get nervous for once. Like, and once you get rapping, I mean, he just makes you feel so comfortable and just ask good questions. You don't even think about it. But, um, it, it, yeah, I, I mean, the, the thing I can say the most is it's a time warp. Like, you blink and you're like, oh, and he's like, well, we got to run. And, you know, it's, we're pushing three hours now. I'm like, what? We've been talking for three hours. Like, it just flies by. Oh, for going. sure. I can only imagine. That must have been awesome. Um, you also did uh, did a movie, uh, Making Coco, about Grand Fear, and honestly, I haven't watched it yet. I've seen a lot of the um, uh, the trailers and stuff. It looks incredible. Uh, when did that come out exactly, and you know what was the process of making that movie? Did it kind of fall on your lap, or is that one that you kind of you know, went after? So interesting is, I mean, I grew up an Oilers fan, um, and uh, but our director, Don Metz, he came to me and he's like, Adam, I really want to put this, you know, together for Fierzy, kind of based on his book. You know, and at first I was like, well, man, I'd love to do something on the Oilers, but I don't know if Fierzy, like, you know, I remember watching him as a kid, but I was too young to really pay attention to all the drama that went on in his personal life, and and I was like, I don't know if it's strong enough for a feature doc, though. So then I, I looked into it, I'm like, oh, wow, first black player in the Hall of Fame, and five times five times Stanley Cup champion and and you know and then the drug scandal and everything else I was like okay you know what this is all the makings and then when you meet Grant like couldn't be a nicer guy right but he's a man of few words so that was a concern with the doctors like okay like he's super nice and he's open to talk about everything but he's not a huge talker but because Don our director has had like a 30 25 year relationship with Grant there was such a trust and you see Grant in a way that you never see him like he's crying in the documentary he breaks down and he goes through and the thing that was um, a, a geek out moment for me is that when we were on our first conference call with Grant and Don is like yeah I want to see Adam Scorgi you know he's the producer who did Ice Guardians he's done these other ones and and uh, and uh, and then Grant stops the call and he's like, hey, he's like, Adam, I just want to tell you, like, I watch Ice Guards and I absolutely love that mm-hmm. documentary. A lot of my friends are in that. Thank you for honoring your story correctly. I'm really confident that you and Matt are the one telling my story. And it's one of those things like, you know, I get to work with a lot of very interesting people now and athletes that I admired and, and actors and stuff. But it, there's those moments where I pinch myself and just take in the moment where I kind of like, I'm like, dude. This is like my, I'm a diehard Oilers fan since I was a kid. And it was like, it's one of my favorite players. And he's saying he's excited that I'm the one going to be telling this story. Like, it's one of those ones where you almost want to mute the phone because we're on like a speakerphone and be like, dude, are we, is this real? Is that Like, but you know, you have to be professional. So we're like, oh, Grant, you know, I'm really excited to do your story. I'm glad you like Dice Guardians. Promise to bring the same kind of detailed trust and storytelling that we did with that. And, and, uh, so then Grant and I built a great relationship. I mean, uh, couldn't be a nicer man. Like, truly, truly such a great man. Um, I mean, on my daughter's tryouts a couple of years ago, he recorded a video and said, Riley, believe in yourself, go out there. Like, he's, I, I can't say enough great things about Grant. And the fascinating part when you watch the documentary is how he got completely hoodwinked on his suspension. His suspension would never fly today. He just would not be suspended. But at the time... The main reason he got suspended is he'd already put himself through treatment and he'd been sober for a year, but he had fired his agent and he'd split up with his ex-wife 
And they were the two witnesses that brought it to the newspaper. And the newspaper is going to run the story with or without Grant. And then Grant and Glenn Sather said, well, if you're going to run it anyway, we want to get our word in there. And because Grant went down and admitted it is why the NHL suspended him. And they were looking at a lifetime ban. At that point, he'd already won three or four Stanley Cups. And they're looking to suspend him purely because he didn't lie. And not only did he not lie, Grant went almost every local talk show here in Edmonton and allowed callers to call in and verbally assault him and go on like, you find me an athlete or a public figure today that took it on the chin like Grant did and like, I'll give you my next paycheck because I've never seen anybody take it like he did. Like an absolute champ, took a suspension, broke him, killed him because he loved hockey. The guy, you find out where Grant was getting paid like 400 grand less than other goalies in the league at the time when we were doing research. There was like three or four of them. I never even heard their names before the other goalies. Grant was getting paid three or four hundred thousand dollars less than they were after winning three Stanley Cups. And we're like, Grant, like you're a three-time Stanley Cup champion. Like you're only going to pay this much. And he was like, but guys. I got to play with the greatest group of guys in the world and the best team ever. He's like, I would have played hmm. free. And I was like, I was like, that right there is why the Oilers became a dynasty is because you had a group of guys that were more concerned about winning than how much their next endorsement deal or Reebok yeah. deal was going to be. And that's something like when you talk about today's game that for me, I still watch it, but I, I don't love it as much as I just feel it's so corporatized nowadays and just, the passion in a lot of games just isn't there. Like, yep, I, I won't, I'm not going to argue. There's way more talent out there. You know, the average, you know, your average fourth line guy would probably be a superstar back in the seventies. Now they can all shoot. They can all do Eagle turns and skate like crazy and use their edges. But for me, I just find there's like no rivalries anymore. And just, it's the, the game is just a different game. It's there's often games and, this isn't just me as a fan. I know some of them, and I'm not going to out them, but I know some very prominent NHL color commentators that used to play. And they're like, Adam, there are days where we have to drink so much caffeine because we're literally falling asleep on the bench because the game just has no passion and no emotion. Why, do you know what? I think there's a there's a few reasons for this. And, and obviously the salary cap comes into play. But, like, you look at guys, and, yeah, yeah. you get a few guys that sign these huge contracts for, for long-term deals. But other than that, the, the team's changing all the time. I remember, like, growing up in Vancouver, yeah. like, the Canucks were pretty much the same team for, like, four or five years there. Six, like, there, there weren't as many changes, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and... I don't know, and it just seemed like guy. Yeah, again, guys just played for each other, and it's just I, I don't know if it's the social media or if it's um, I I don't know if it's just a different generation. I think I think it's I think it's a whole bunch of things. I wouldn't label it to just one thing. I think you nail a good point there. Is that you know you have guys moving way much more, so it's harder to stay connected. You have a lot of guys now with how much money is to be made in hockey that you can set up your children's children's children. So it becomes you know, when a young kid has, you know, he's scouted and he has talent, you know, it's almost like a business you're building rather than a passion for a game you love, right? People are like, hey, like, you know, not to say that they didn't love it, but it just not the same passion. Like, when I heard that from Grant Fuhrer and he's like, I would have played for free. Even his agent said that. He's like, I was always trying to get him more money. And Grant Fuhrer's agent, he's like, but he didn't want more money. He just wanted to be able to keep playing. The man loves to play. One of the reasons, and this is something I just saw Grant arguing with some idiot online about this the other day, because people were like, oh, yeah, look at your save percentage. 
And Grant's like, yeah, because he's like, I was a team player. The only stat I was ever concerned of as a goalie was wins. I didn't care what my save percentage was. I didn't care what that was. I cared about winning. He's like, I didn't care that my guys left me out to dry and try to get their seventh goal of the night and stuff like that and left me with no defense, right? He's like, I didn't care. One year, Grant Fuhr got 14 assists as a goalie because he would time it when there would be a two-on-one or a one-on-nothing or two-on-nothing for all the guys, Joe. Grant would go out and challenge, and he would kick kick save it out to the winger so that Messier or Anderson or someone could grab it on the fly. That's awesome. So... He didn't have, and that's why Wayne says he's the greatest goalie that ever lived because he's like, no other goalie got hung out to dry as bad as we left Grant because you had me and Messier trying to break records, right? So we were trying to get records, and Grant didn't care. He never, they're like, never in his career did he point at a player being like, I couldn't see the player because the thing. He never. One of Grant Fuhrer's greatest abilities was that he could let in five pucks, but he could shake it off and be like, guys, they're not getting the sixth one. The door's closing, right? And then the Oilers would be like, Paul Coffey says in the documentaries, all of us would put our, our eyes go like this, and we would just go. And we'd go get the points needed to finish the game. And you knew when Grant was going to shut the door, he would shut the door. He would come out and challenge and make five saves in a row with no defense. We even interviewed some of the, the Flames on this, who, you know, the Oilers, you know, continuously knocked out there for almost a decade. And they were like, in, uh, uh, he, he goes, He's like, I know they had defense, but did they ever really play defense? They're like, they just had a great goaltender. They left that poor fucking guy out to dry yeah. all the time. Right? He's like, we, we knew. We, they said, we knew when we played the Oilers, we were going to get at least three two-on-ones in a game because they would always leave them out there to dry. So when you go by save percentage, Grant doesn't have one of the greatest save percentages, but he has one of the – and if you find out the comeback from when his knee was completely replaced to go and break an NHL record, which still holds today, playing 77 games straight on a completely rebuilt knee that was supposed to end his career in his late 30s, you start to find out why this guy was marveled at and why all the St. Louis guys were like, that's why I'm in some of those cups. They had this fucking guy in there. Grant Fuhrer is, like as Wayne said, it, he, is the, he is the ultimate money goalie. When the game was on the line and you needed him to shut the door, Grant was the guy that everybody wanted to bank on. And, I mean, people often forget, you know, because they had had Gretz and Mess and Curry and, fuck, even Essa Tikkanen was, like, a superstar back then. Like, uh, Kevin Lowe and Coffee. Like, this... Dude, seven. They just now, with Kevin Lowe's induction... They have seven. They had seven just players in, in the It's just of incredible. So you forget about, and they're, they're crazy offensive numbers. You forget, or I forgot, and I'm sure a lot of people, how much he really was hung out to dry. I mean, obviously, I was young. I didn't grow up in that era. I wasn't even born, but I grew up watching, you know, Boys on the Bus and all that shit with my dad and all of the, I've seen it all yeah. multiple times. And, and yeah, I've always focused on the offense, but yeah, you think about that. And, and really, who cares about the save percentage? Like, he got the job done when it mattered, right? And, well, and that, and that kind of goes to our conversation of what's going around with a lot or, you know, the, the league going in the wrong direction now is you have a lot of goalies that their save percentage is what they care about the most because they're worried about the next contract, right? Grant's like, the most important thing was wins. Winning. Five Stanley Cups. That's what matters, right? When the game needed it, did I win? Right? He's like, doesn't matter if I got the shutout or if he did any of that. Who cares? If I got, if I set the record in the regular season for shutouts but we didn't make playoffs, what yeah. good is that? Right? He's like, that's useless. So he's like, that's the only stat I ever compared at. And because he was so willing to do that. The rest of the team benefited from that. That's what, 
you know, if you watch The Last Dance, it was just on, and you realize how important Pippin and Rodman were, when we did Grand Fears documentary, you realize and you hear it from all of them, from Mef, from Lowe, from all of them, how important it was that they had him as their comp. And he was the calm, right? Because you had these two Broncos and Messi and Gratz that both wanted to be Hall of Famers and set records. So you had guys like Kevin Lowe that were the calm to the storms. You had guys like Grant Fuhr that were the calm, right? They could, you know, keep the Broncos and like, hey, don't burn all your energy yet. It's a three-period game, right? We might have to go to overtime. Like, you had the dynamics of that team were super special, right? They all worked really well with each other, and all of them, their main thing was winning. It wasn't about... You know, just individual staff. Yeah, and that is, it's totally lost. That is where I think the game is lost, and these guys are also worried about their contract. I'm like, uh, like when is um, enough money enough in sports, really? I mean, like, I, I really feel like these guys should, should there should be a cap. At, like, you, they should all make a million dollars a year. Like, what the hell do you need more than that a year? Or five million a year, and that's it, or whatever. And the rest should get funneled back into to programs to help, you know, kids that can't play hockey or kids that, you know, pe- people that need whatever. Some other avenue that needs money. Hey, this, this, I, man, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, that's where you look at the only sport in the world right now that pays by performance is the UFC, right? You win, you get paid more. You lose, you get paid less. You have fight of the night, you get a bonus, right? You get submission of the night, you get a bonus. They could, you know, make a, you know, a payment plan. I mean, the players' union would never accept it now, so the game's going to continue to go in the direction it's going. But they should have looked at something back in the day being like, hey, if a team has the biggest winning record, that's where your biggest bonuses are. Then if you get a scoring one, additional bonus, you get a plus minus. Like, you could create it for individual players, too. If you weren't a finesse goal scorer, you could be like, okay, do you have the most blocked shots and the best plus minus? Well, then you get a big Absolutely. bonus for that, right? But obviously making the biggest bonus being team winning. So it's a team thing where if, like, you know, if every player got a $10,000 bonus for winning, they're going to fucking want to win. Right. So I think I think those are, you know, like you said, I think it's a combination of social media, contracts, guys shifting, physicality is a thing. I mean, now rivalries like I laugh and they try to be like Battle of Alberta. Now, mind you, this last year, it kind of came back with the goalie fights and the hit like like you can say what you want, but it's human instinct. And there's a tribalistic thing that is in us when you want your team to win over another. Like even when you think about how team rivalries work and we talk about this nice guardian. This is scientifically proven with human behavior. Like the only difference between our two teams is the color of our jerseys and the the logistical place of where their home ice is, right? But that's all it is. It's it's, it's a tribalistic thing of like, I love the Oilers, I love the Flames. Especially now with the teams changing so much, it's like hard to even get in love with a player because they're usually gone in three years. So you buy a jersey and then that guy gets traded and you're like, okay, now he plays for here. But what gets, what goes down to our inner tribalism is when there's a fight and you see it in arenas and even now i've been to corporate games where you're in the box and there's all these big people and the wives and everyone's talking "Ah." even when there's a goal a lot of them won't even still leave the box to go see it like oh that's kind of cool and have another beer and a drink the only thing that gets everybody out that door to watch what's going on the ice is when two guys drop the glove there's an inner tribal even if even if the people go, they're kind of cringing. They're like, oh, my God. Ooh, that's so gross. Oh, my God, he's hitting him. They still go to see. It's like when there's a car accident on the side of the road. Everybody kind of slows down to be like, oh, what happened? Is everybody okay? Oh, shit. Right? Like, it just is a, a thing that we do. 
and you saw it in that Battle of Alberta. That was one of the most watched regular season games the NHL has had in the last six or seven years when they knew there was going to be melee, right? If people want to see it, you can change the game as much as you want, but we haven't evolved in humans as much. We still get jealous. We still have anger. We still have sadness. We still have all those things that we did thousands of years ago. So you're not going to, you know, to make some rule changes and just get that out of human evolution. It's still going to be there. And I think a combination of that, you know, with the contracts and everything is why I'll tune into the Oilers, of course, like, because I'm, I'm a diehard fan, but there's many games where it's like they go down 3 nothing, and I'm like, oh, I'll just put on Netflix. <laughs> like, it just is, because there's no fights, and there's just no, it's just like, ugh, it's going to be vanilla. And then I'll the odd time, I'll turn back and be like, oh, they make a comeback. Oh, no, it's like I thought it's 5 nothing now. Thank God I went to Netflix. Like, why waste my time? There's no, there's no, there's no, I, I like watching my daughter's game more and more of the younger leagues because there seems to be more of the passion to try to make Absolutely. that next level. Right. And of course, like, even though you have McDavid and Dreisaitl, but, you know, I'm not trying to insult any of the guys there. I just, I noticed there's a change. Like, when I was, like, one of the greatest sports runs experiences for me was 06 with the Oilers when they were the eight seeded team and they were a whole bunch of grinders other than pretty much Pronger and Mike Pekka, you know, and Smitty. And they shocked the world by, you know, defeating the President's Trophy winner of the Flames in the first round. They went all the way to the Stanley Cup final and they would have won. Pat Wilson, not that, that's a shout out to my my buddy Andrew Ladd, by the way. I trained oh, yeah. with him. He took yeah. Rolly out that year, and that's uh, I believe, and that's why they lost. That motherfucker. <laughs> well, uh, it works because I mean the Oilers were up three nothing that game, and they ended up losing four three after Rolly got hurt, and he was a goddamn assassin against San Jose and Anaheim, so. But that, when you watch that team, like that team was so much more exciting to watch in the playoffs than watching when the Oilers went a couple of years ago with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Like, still exciting. Anytime NHL hockey still always really exciting in playoffs, and that's when you see it get more physical and agitated. That's why everybody loves it is the intensity is so high that it isn't the play-nice game that you get through the regular season a lot of the time now. It's a vicious game, and the whistles go away, and... But still, that 06 run and just, you know, the physicality and everything, it was it was that I, – I hope it was going another run, but I don't know if it will ever be quite as magical as that 06 one because that team was really just a team of passionate players. Like, they didn't – you had Pronger, one of the best defensemen in the league, and one of the best defensemen, I think, to play in the last – him and Lidstrom are probably two of the best and to play in a long time. But, um, you know, you didn't have a lot of forward superstars on that team. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, it, I remember it. Absolutely, I remember that run. And uh, actually, it's it's weird. I've never really been an Edmonton fan, but even I found myself cheering for them uh, the last time when they made the run you were just talking about. And uh, when, when was the last time you had a guy, Fernando Pisani, like as a diehard Oilers fan, I barely knew who that guy was. And in that fucking playoff run, he had like 14 goals. Like, he was the hero every game. You're like, where the fuck did this guy come from? Like, every, especially the game in Carolina where we got a penalty. The Oilers are down. They're shorthanded. He picks the puck and scores the game winner. Like, that, like, storybook yeah. shit, right? Where you're like, and like again, who was it? Like, Fernando? <laughs> he was like, really? This yeah. guy again? Yeah, like, and it... And then they signed him to a they signed him to a big contract back next year, and of course he couldn't deliver on that. He had the most magical run. Like I'd argue, I don't know, maybe there's another guy I haven't paid attention to, but I I don't know if there's ever been a guy that's like a 
third, fourth line grinder like him that had 14 goals and was the hero in a cup run yeah, as much as it, he was. And, you know, it's not really almost fair to him to expect that because it's a totally different game, as you as you explained. It just is. Yeah. And it's it starts right from um, the coaches out. It's just the whole mentality. It's always at the beginning of the year you're talking about they try to break it down into segments and stuff, but it's always about that ultimate goal, the playoffs. And it's like, yeah, you start to get that intensity if you're the team that's trying to get a playoff spot but the other than that you're just cruising you know until playoffs and then you know let's let's get down to business and it's a lot more fun to watch for sure but i tend to agree that i would watch uh competitive girls hockey or definitely major junior hockey um over the nhl any day because the passion is there they want to get there they want the scholarships they want the nhl contracts uh these guys get complacent i really find that they get complacent well, I don't know how you couldn't when your contracts are set up that way, right? Like, there's no – for them to win a game, there's no – I heard it once, and I will never say who the player is because I don't want to sue them because I know a lot of great – but I was sitting down at, uh, at a, an NHL event, and we are at the table with a player, and we were shooting a really nice guy, and he was there with his wife, and, and he made the comment of, like – and I was like, oh, I made some joke. I'm like, well, you got to worry about getting fired. And, and he goes, well, that's a great thing about my job, being a player. We don't ever get fired. We just get huh. traded. And I was like, oh, so no pressure for you, eh? You shit the bed, make your 60 grand a game. You know, you go to, we see them, and especially like you live in Alberta and you see them out at the bars. You're like, oh, great. You guys lost, you know, 7 1. You get paid 80 grand a game and don't give a shit. And I get that you got to shake that off too, right? As fans, we can't be like, I can't expect you to be like going home and practicing and not shaking it off. But, you know, the way contracts are set up where it's a five year term, and whether you guys lose through that five years or win, you get paid the same. So, you know, if you if we believe if you believe in capitalism and the motivation of doing better to get better, and that's why you see how many guys. I'd love to see an analytics breakdown of how many guys, right when it's a contract year, all of a sudden have a bump in their stats, right? Because they're like, oh, well, I got to get that next contract. So then they kind of jump up again. But the contracts are built to be where you sign the big one and then you can relax. You got it, even if you get injured. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, I think honestly they should look at doing like year-to-year contracts, unless they should have maybe like a clause in there that if you get hurt, like a life, you know a career-ending injury, well, then we're going to set you up for life, obviously, and pay you out pay you yeah, out your salary obviously. for three or five yeah. years or whatever the case is. Yeah. But but I, I would love yeah. to see that. Guy, you would see guys going crazy, you know, like set the league minimum at a million and, and that's it, everyone's making the same and start throwing out bonuses or whatever for whatever their roles are. Maybe that's too complicated. But, you know, being a year-to-year contract, you would see – the level of play go up because guys are fighting for jobs every single year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, you know, Hey, there's no, I don't ever think there's any perfect dancers in life, but you really see, you know, I've made this comparison lots of like, you know, I, I consider myself, you know, like, you know, Connor McDavid good at what I do for making docs. Right. And I could make 5 million docs and I'm not going to make like what he makes in one year right like it just is when you compare to a lot of other businesses or even like you know child emergency service surgeons right what they make compared to pro athletes you start being like man really doesn't make sense 
right? With how much like, yes, they work hard. Yes, they're dedicated, but so is a neurosurgeon, right? So is a top lawyer. So is somebody yeah. in my field, right? Like we're all, we all put in lots of anything that you're passionate about. You put in lots of work to do. It's hard to do. There's lots of competition. If it wasn't, everybody would be doing it. But sports, we put so many athletes on this pedestal a lot of the times that it's just, it, it, it's so unattainable and hard to understand that, uh, you know, and I do, I would, I would compensate all of them for the pay that they have to deal with now with social media and never having a private life. Like that is definitely like, you should get a bump and pay with that. Cause a lot of these other careers, you can be away from all that shit, right? Whereas you want to be a doctor and everything else, but you know, you're in the public eye all the time and you're seeing this with a lot of hockey players all sports now where, you know, guys are, you know, like I think those Ottawa players that were drunk in the cab talking shit about their team and stuff like that. Like that shit's not fair. Young kids. I said dumb shit when I was 19 and in my twenties too. I could imagine if I'm going out drinking with the boys and the cabbie films me and releases that to the media. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's totally not fair. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with you on that one. And uh, you just have to be so careful with everything and it's just, it's so stressful. So you don't, you wonder why these guys turn to drinking and drugs because of the stresses. And it's when they crack that beer or they smoke that joint or do the line, whatever. It's like, ah, you know, all that shit doesn't matter just for that little bit. They can escape that reality. Yeah. Little, it's it's a yeah it's a, it's a ton of pressure and it's it's kind of like that's where I'm I love the scene my daughter go after this right now because the girls game is growing but it isn't there yet so I'm kind of like eh even if she hits the top top levels or even just university or college like she can just go enjoy the game she won't have like she'll have the good pressures which I think are good for any person even outside of sports just learning to have a goal and put in the work to achieve it right like those are the ones that are you know, often missed by families. They're like, why would you spend this money on your kid? And I'm like, because they learn so many good values. They learn to work together as a team. You know, I stress with my daughter all the time being that, you know, you don't have to be friends with everybody on your team, but they are your teammates, right? It's kind of like your little brother. Like you can beat up your little brother, but if somebody else shit talks your brother, you're like, Hey, I'll punch you in your fucking mouth to talk about my brother. (laughs) Only I can talk about my brother. Right? Like, and I was like, and you do that for your teammates too, right? Where you say, no, 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 no. Like, you can't talk shit about them. Like on the other team, they're like, I might not love that player, but you don't That's get to right. talk shit about them, right? You know, so you learn how to work as a group because even if you take that into the business world, right, you're going to have a, a boss you don't like or, you know, an employee that you're like, fuck, that person's so annoying or they bug me and you have to find a way to make it work until you find another job or so there's so many good life lessons that you get out of sports and failure in them, right? Not achieving a goal is a great thing. It's something that I love. My daughter's experienced some pretty good hardships for a young, like, you know, she had a, she had a rare autoimmune disease that made it where she couldn't even walk for a couple months. So they weren't sure she'd ever be able to play hockey again. Things like that, you know, I think that's another problem that you have when we're talking about, you know, players and, and, I, and I don't, we're talking about hockey players, but it can happen in any sport is that, a lot of the times the first adversity any kind of young talented kid hits is when they make the nhl right that's why you'll see some of these highly touted like draft picks they don't last right they bounce from team to team and can't really make it work right and you're like man that guy was drafted in the first you know top 10 overall how did he know yeah and i don't know all the the aspects of it but a lot of times that's the first time they hit some adversity where it's like you're not the superstar anymore. You're playing with the best 400 players in the world, so you're maybe a third or fourth line player, right? And if you accept that role and you embrace it and you take on that role, then you could have a long career. But you have some of those guys, like I look at Nail Yakupov for the Oilers, right? First, first overall, right? Doesn't even play in the yeah. NHL. 
right? Could not accept that, like, he had a great shot, but he had a lot of elements to his game that were missing. He couldn't adapt it. So, you know, then he kept getting bounced around, and now he's gone. That's always what kind of made me admire enforcers because a lot of these guys, when they were younger, were great players, right? But then as they got really big and the game got fast around them, a lot of them are like, well, now they can't put up 30 points anymore, right? But they are passionate and they're willing to protect their teammates. So a lot of them would change their game to be effective on a team. That's very hard for an athlete to do, except a different role, right? So I've always admired how a lot of the guys, or even if they weren't super talented, but they found a niche that they could fit in and they could make it work, how they would go after that. To me, I was just like, I marveled at how they could do that because a lot of athletes can't handle any kind of adversity like that, right? Well, so, yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's an extremely good point. I, I, Man, I can't actually wait to listen back to this because you've made so many great points about hockey that, uh, like, listen, I've been away from the hockey world for probably the last 10 years or besides in the last two months, really, and um, you've been obviously working around a lot of uh, – great hockey minds hockey personalities and you've seen it firsthand and obviously you're a hockey dad too so um i mean you've made a lot of great points and i really appreciate your time i'm gonna wrap it up we've been talking for an hour and a half you probably gotta go to bed it's like two in the morning two in the morning where i am but uh, listen adam i listen man i really appreciate you doing this and i'm actually coming out to edmonton probably in like three weeks to check out spencer myers treatment center because that's where it is um actually the whole puck support uh uh board of directors is going to be out there so um yeah i'll I'll, uh, I'll shoot you a text when i'm out there but i uh i yeah shoot me a text i'll try to meet yeah that'd be awesome that'd be I'm awesome hey man listen i truly appreciate it and i can't wait to see uh all your work down the road and just let me know and if there's anything i could do to uh, promote it not that you need my help but um you know i'm gonna post all the uh all the links for everything man and uh listen i once again i truly appreciate it Oh, okay, man, we'll do it again sometime. Bye, buddy. guys that's episode 29 of hockey to heroin the road to recovery thanks to adam scorgy that guy's a beauty love that guy um made a ton of awesome points i gotta go back and uh listen to that one for sure guys that's my first my first episode that i've done on the roadcaster pro a couple little glitches maybe um haven't quite uh, updated all the sound effects, but guys, listen uh, quickly. Thank you to Adam Scorgy. Um, I quickly wanted to share a story, guys. Um, uh, Travis Berry, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook, he's from Chilliwack. Um, don't really know him too well, but uh, I think we may have crossed paths in the hockey world when we were younger. He shared a story with me today. Um, first off, he, you know, said that he liked the podcast and thanked me for sharing my story and that I've been helping him. So, um, Travis, thank you for listening, man. Um, but he shared a story with me about a coach. Um, so 
when he was like 13 or 14, the coach at the beginning of the year came in and was like, did anybody get any new gear this year, this summer? And he put up his hands and he said, yeah, me, I got new skates. And he showed them. And while his skates weren't new, they were used because his parents were hard workers, but they didn't have a lot of money and they couldn't afford uh, new gear. Well, doesn't this asshole of a coach uh, say, those aren't new skates, those are used skates. Uh, made fun of him and all the kids laughed at him. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Buddy, people like that should not be coaching. You know what? Good on his parents for working hard and allowing him the chance to play hockey because most kids don't even get that chance. Travis, you have great parents. You know what you told me. Uh, but listen, he told me he's still dealing with this. Uh, you know, when he's 28 years old now and he still goes back to that moment. So listen, if you're a coach or if you're dealing with kids, you have that effect on people. It's 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 really, really, really almost. It's sad for me to hear that. And Travis, you know what, buddy? Um, don't let that shit get to you. I know it's uh, you were a kid when it happened and it affected you. It almost, you know, you stopped wanting to go play hockey and he just never had the new gear and um shame on that coach and if you're a coach give your head a shake and let's do things the right way i want to hope that everyone listening if you're a coach that you do things the right way and you'd never ever do that otherwise i'll come find you but i know i won't have to deal with that because all my listeners are great people right right um quickly too guys uh, i wanted to share before i end this podcast um i've updated or uh, edited in uh, the conversation we had with Darren McCarty at the Puck Support Foundation board meeting. So, um, guys, I'm going to play it here for you guys. Um, here we go. DMAC, are you there? No, Brady, what's up, all you savages out there? Who do we got? We got Cooper, we got Jesse, Carson, Michael, Spencer's iPhone. That's pretty cool. Brian's iPhone. And uh, you don't look like a Mark, but. Um, well, I'm Janet. <laughs> okay, I'm just making you could be a mark. I mean, I don't know, but uh, mm-hmm. nice to uh, see everybody but Brady because he obviously, you know, can't get internet or he gets one bar up there and he's not 5D yet or whatever. So you're pretty, anyways, Brady, but great to be here with you guys <laughs> finally uh, uh, connecting and uh, love uh, everything that you started and you got going. And I think that. Uh, Obviously, the other day, uh, Brady, you were able to hook up with Riley, who Riley Cote, who, along with the athletes for care, but but everything else, I think that, you know, I read Brady what you posted about the junior hockey and stuff, and you see Daniel Carcillo, who is part of the clan too, you know, so all the stuff that that needs to be talked about and focused on, whatever it is, we'll get her done, boys. So, it's, uh, you know, my only. You know, my one thing is, is it's okay. It's, you know, it's patience and resilience, like the plant. You set the foundation. It's about the people and it's about the message and it's pure intentions. And it's not, it's about pulling people that want to get out of the dark into the light. It's not dragging the dark with them. And that's Mm -hmm. the whole point where there's safety in the numbers or whether it's the fact of whatever resume or whatever else but because it's right. And I think that no matter where you live and the temperature of the world today, you want to do something then step out and do something about it. And I commend everybody here for starting this and 
you know, it's only going to, it's only going to help people. That's all it is. So I'm, I'm anything that my, I can do or grind time can do. And, um, I got a lot of ideas and a lot of, uh, you know, what, whatever I can do to help out, make this, this go, because this mm -hmm. is uh, long overdue, but, um, something that, uh, makes all the journeys we've all been through worth it. Sounds good. Um, yeah, so, so DMAC, listen, man, thanks. I know uh, you got lots going on. And um, so basically, you know, if you don't mind, we'll probably utilize you and we have our ducks in a row. And, you know, like, because you're a big fucking hitter, you got four cup rings, you're a huge beauty, and we appreciate this for sure. So, like, I'm not going to, you know what I mean? I don't want to uh, over overwhelm you or whatever. I know you've said to me that you want to help and you just said rally the troops. And, and so that's what we're going to do. And um, I truly believe that we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to do this big in the right way. We're going to help lots of people. Like um, if just to tell you quickly, um, Spencer, that's on right now, he was just on the podcast. Well, he's got a friend actually that played in the WHL right now. And actually I found out that I coached this kid too when I was, when he was younger and actually he's all messed up right now. And, uh, like, I actually talked to this kid's mom on the phone last night. Like, she called me crying, like, saying, she, like, she doesn't know what to do. Her son's overdosing. He got bear mace last night. He almost got stabbed. He's been up for days. He's been in the psych ward. He's been to jail. There's no support from the WHL. There's no support from anybody. She doesn't know what to do. Her other son is all fucked up, too. And, you know, she's got no money. She bought trying to get a plane ticket to get him out to Spencer's rehab center. And it, you know what I mean? Like it was just, and hearing, and hearing all this, I was like, Holy fuck, this is my parents. This is my dad. Like, this is fucking crazy. Like I, and I, there's, I didn't know what to tell her and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, and this is not the only situation. Like I lost a line mate of mine. He's gone from fentanyl overdose, Mitch Fadden, another kid, Matt, he's gone. Fentanyl overdose. Like, how many guys do we know that have killed themselves because of mental health and, and everything else? So, like, that's just what I want to say. So, Darren, thank you, man. Like, whatever, whatever, we're, we're just going to keep going forward. And I, and I appreciate the support. We do, we all do. And, and like, I'll stay connected with you. And, and we all will. And, and, like I said, man, we all really appreciate it. No, and, and here's the thing, like I told you before, Brady, and, and if, you know, anybody else knows that you're talking about that because listen it's it's just it might have been you and i that one experienced it but it's the people that we all know this so it's about getting the help out and what the biggest thing that i would say shit sorry dude i just dropped the fan on my buddy um the, the uh the thing that i would say is you know what you don't have to have all the answers but what you have to have is honesty and if you can speak from experience or whatever else if for the in the in the instance like the the one thing that that try to do is that what i've noticed is when you put people together that want to help other people it attracts people with the right intentions now what's the basis of the importance of this group is everybody's story from every angle from <clears throat> whether it's you've lived it whether you've lived beside it what you've seen it to go through because this has no the, this is about health and wellness, just to, to life. You can call it whatever you want, but it's the fact that you don't know that you're alone. So if whatever that is, as far as, um, you know, how you want to start connecting, but it's just, 
you got to remember is as long as you make sure that whoever it is doesn't feel alone, whether it's the parent, whether it's, you know, you, we all who have been there know what it's like to be right in the middle of it, but just to know that if they want to reach out for help, what can, and the thing is, don't worry more so about what you can't do than what you can right now. And if it's a conversation, if it's looking somebody through the Zoom, you know, face to face, eye to eye, to, to feel some sort of connection or having just a private conversation or back and forth to get to whoever it is. This has no, like you look at the mission statement and, and it speaks miles. Now, that, that like this is, you know, it has the ability really to make its mark in, and especially in the hockey world. But I love what it's for because it's everybody around the hockey experience. Right. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how long you played, where you played, you played. I tell everybody, dude, I ask you, do you play hockey? No, I just shoot the ball around in my driveway. And you're a hockey player, bro. If you kick the can around, you're a <laughs> hockey player. So it's just a great way to start the conversation. And it's, like you said, um, that's one of the things that you're going to have to figure out, you know, the momentum and the direction, but whatever you need for, from me, as far as conversations or video, or, you know, even, even to get on a call that, you know, whatever it's for, as we, as you get going, then I'm going to introduce you to more and more people that I think can help because, you know, I see it. It's just, I use grind time with Darren McCarty and it's the only reason it's got Darren McCarty on it is because like you said, it gets you through the door because it's got four cups. So that's what we use it for. You know, I, you go because that's exactly, you have the, the rhino, the bulldozer to go, but grind time is what it's all about. And that's the family. And this is an extension of grind time just because it's an extension of me, which means all of you are extension of grind time too, which means, as we figure out what resources or connection, it's just facilitating the message, right? And it's a different message, but it's a, such a good message. And, and, and here's the sad thing, right? As we all know, we're going to lose people in this fight. I lost, you know, one of the ones that, you know, is closest to me. That was huge in my life that taught me where the line was when he crossed it. So I could hover on it and, and succeed. And that's Bob Probert. Who is who is one of my best, you know, friends, and and unfortunately, we all have stories like that. You know, I've got people make it, but it's for the ones that did to pass it forward. So what you're doing, bro, what you're doing as far as just speaking from the heart and speaking your truth, I, I tell everybody, enjoy my truth. If you see it differently, if you saw it differently, remember, I smoke a lot of weed. I could be wrong. You know, write a book. Okay. Hey, Darren, just, just before you go, uh, Carson uh, Grant just wants to say something quick. He, he just, and then uh, we, can, we can get going with the meeting. We'll let you go. Thanks, Leo. Uh, Darren, thanks, buddy, for, uh, for jumping on. Um, yeah, you know what? It's, uh, it, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, we all come from different places. And, but, you know, hockey kind of, hockey is such a small world because everybody knows everybody and, and we want to make a difference as much as possible. And, and Brian, it's great to see your face too, uh, Mr. Leovold. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's tough when you take a look at, you know, I've just a story on myself. I've, I've lost my brother to 
uh, fentanyl overdose. Um, uh, he was he was doing heroin. Uh, he was five years younger than me. He died when he was 24. And then I, I lost my dad and dad to cancer, who was my best friend. And then and then my mother-in-law. So it's it's been a little bit of a tough go for us uh, on a personal level. But, you know, at the same time, you know, uh, I've known Brady for quite some time. And, you know, what, what you've done so far, Brady, and I, I want to say this uh, to everybody, uh, to, to you in front of everybody, is, you know, what, what you're doing is, you know, is fantastic and and we're we're all in your corner uh we're we're all with you man and um we love you and you know it's just uh i truly believe that we can make a difference here and that's that's the biggest thing is whether that's you know 13 14 year olds coming up and dealing with the stress to to perform or or pros that are coming out of it that that are struggling to find themselves after hockey um, I think that we've got some great, uh, some great people to, to lean in on. And, and uh, I just, I just, I greatly appreciate uh, everybody on this call. And um, it, it speaks, uh, speaks uh, lots about, you know, Brady and, and, and the people on this call. So I, I just wanted to say those two words, uh, those few words, and, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. But um I greatly appreciate being on this call and I, I hope that we can, we can start making a difference here. And it's, you know, I, I know that money is, is one thing and, and to raise money and, and we need money to, to, to help these individuals. But at the same time, you know, keep in mind that, you know, every single person on this call has been through it. You know, we, we've been through, through hell and back, um, whether that's on uh, personally or or uh, related to to friends or family, so I think that if we use these resources, we can definitely improve um, each of our lives uh, as we move forward and, and some. So um, that's all I wanted to say, Braid and uh, Darren. Uh, thanks for taking the time to jump on, and uh, I'll leave it at that. DMAC, what, what you did to Claude Lemieux when he came back to the Joe for the first time, that's what the boys are going to do to uh, mental health and addiction. Fucking right. <laughs> that, that's why I'm leading the way, bro, because that's what I do. Just pull up the tape. That's what I tell everybody. Listen, you can tell everybody. Oh, DMAC? Oh, man, he's the – if you are – what do you mean by that? He's a what do you mean by that guy. He'll answer questions all day. The minute you want to argue – Boom, March 26th, right in your face. That's what, we all, that's what we're all about. Because you don't even get to come in and try to do that bullshit, right? No, Fucking we knock right, the buddy. fuck out because, you know what? Man, we're back and trust me, somebody's going to get it. That's like, that's that. I love it. Okay, Z-Max, thank you, man. You got You're it. the man, You're buddy. The man. Thanks, all right, Keep in touch and uh, all yous and let me know. Happy to be on this journey together. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, later. Wow, eh? Darren McCarty's a pretty cool guy. Um, and a new friend of mine and the Puck Support Foundation. It's uh, pretty remarkable, you guys, this journey that I'm on. And I'm really, really honored to share it with everybody. If anyone's struggling out there, please reach out. If not to me, to somebody else, guys. Um... I get shivers when I say that. It was such a fucking awesome day. We got Michael Urbaniak, and I'm going to use his name, Michael Urbaniak. 
proud of you. I'm proud of you, brother. You made it. You're in treatment. You're with Spencer. The future is so bright for you. I'm so proud of you, man. I'm so, so proud of you. And Spencer, I'm proud of you. You got him there. We could save his life. And he can help save the lives of so many others. It's really, really, really special. Guys, we're going to change the world. It's remarkable. I'm just very honored to be a part of it. And I'm very lucky to be alive. Thank you guys so much for listening. I truly, truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to an upcoming episode with Michael Hangen and Carson Grant. You heard Carson Grant speak there. It's a friend of mine. He's on the Pog Support Foundation. He mentioned he lost his brother to fentanyl overdose as well. Uh, it's a tough struggle out there, guys. We all have choices. It's all about choices. So remember, have a great day, if you so choose. <laughs>